Good morning, everyone. Thank you. Welcome back. It's the beginning of a new semester for us, and I'm glad to see all of you here today. So uh, during the break, I did two things. First thing I did was a lot of nothing, and that was great because I literally just rested. Um, and the second thing I did was think about what, what can we talk about? I felt like last semester we talked about unity, and there was a lot that God was doing in my heart and in our hearts together and I really did feel that we made some steps forward together as a campus community. And, and there were a lot of different themes that I was reflecting on and praying on. But the one that I landed on was one that we see every day. We see it all the time. If, you, if you're on the ENC website, if you see anything that ENC marketing does, if you see anything about Eastern Nazarene College, we see this. And I said, you know what? It makes total sense to talk about that. So this semester, I'm going to be doing a sermon series on discovering your purpose. Now, we exist here, uh, Eastern Nazarene College, everyone here, to help you students do that, to discover your purpose, to figure out what it is that God has called and created you to do and to be. And so we're going to be looking through this uh, sermon series, particularly view the lens of the story of Joseph. Now, I'm going to do something a little different every time I read. The story of Joseph, if you're not familiar, is roughly like 12, 13 chapters in the Bible, all right? And uh, it's, it's a narrative. It's a story. And so I want you guys to just kind of go into story time for a moment, okay? It's the first day. I know we're back in school. Classes are here. And, and I know that when we read God's Word, we read it, you know, we kind of hear it. But I, I just want you to hear the story, the narrative within God's Word, okay? And so I'm going to read Genesis 37, verses 1 through 36. I'm going to read 36 verses for the reading. Canaan's going to play some little music because we're going to story time. And I just want you to hear the Word of the Lord, Okay? All right, so listen to these words found in Genesis 37. So Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed. That was the land of Canaan. And now this is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, he was a young man of about 17 years old, and he was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about them. And now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made an ornate robe for him a coat of many colors. And when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheave rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. And his brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Well, then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. And when he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Now his brothers had gone to graze their father's flock near Shechem, and Israel, Jacob, said to Joseph, As you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I am going to send you to them. Very well, he replied. So he said to him, Go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks, and bring word back to me. So he sent his son, Joseph, off from the valley of Hebron. 
And when Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man found him wandering around the fields and asked him, what are you looking for? He replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they are grazing their flocks? Well, they've moved on from here, the man said. I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Well, here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. And when Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into the cistern here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. And Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the coat of many colors, the ornate robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. And the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. And as they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishlamites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. And Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishtalmites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. So his brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishtalmites who took him to Egypt. We're almost there. When Reuben returned to the cistern and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes. He went back to his brother and says, The boy isn't there. Where can I turn now? Then they got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, and dipped the robe in his blood. They took the ornate robe back to their father and said, We have found this. Examine it to see whether it is your son's robe. And he recognized it and said, It is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal must have devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. Then Jacob, Joseph's father, tore his clothes and he put on sackcloth and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said. I will continue to mourn until I join my son in the grave. And so his father went for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. Join me in prayer. Father God, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for your word that speaks to us as we hear it. And Lord, as we enter uh, into this narrative to figure out what it means to discover our purpose, will you speak to us? God, will you teach us what it means to follow after you? to know you deeply and intimately. And through this story, God, will you reveal what it is that you have called each of us as individuals and us collectively as a community to be and to do. We love you and we thank you. And all God's people said, amen. All right, we're going to jump in. So there's three observations in this passage that I want to speak about this morning, okay? The first observation is the significance of the coat. The second observation is the vision within a dream. And the third observation is the consequence of being a dreamer. So the significance of the code, the vision within a dream, and the consequence of being a dreamer. Significance of the code. All right. So Joseph, as you guys have heard, as we read through that passage, was loved by his father, okay? Greatly and intimately loved by his father. But he was hated by his brothers, okay? Now, he was the youngest of his family. And so, as you can imagine, he probably got away with a lot of stuff. How many of you guys grew in a large family? Yes? Okay. All right. How many of you guys are the oldest of that family? Yes. Okay. I'm the oldest of the family. Um, my parents, uh, it was me and my sister, and they adopted five other kids. Okay? Now, there was an interesting thing that happened as I got older, right? The things that I was not allowed to do as it went down the line, they were allowed to do. They were allowed to get away with stuff that normally I would get in incredible trouble for. 
So you can imagine that Joseph was like the youngest of the youngest. He's loved and favored by his father, but he's hated by his brothers because, well, it says right here in verse 2 that he was a tattletale, okay? He was a snitch. And it's an interesting detail. When you read the Bible, if you don't pay attention, you miss things like this. But it says that he was with his brothers when they were grazing the fields, and he brought a bad report about them, right? And we can only imagine, what was that like? Like, were they out in the shepherd's fields? I don't know, talking about, I don't know, uh, sheep or bad things. But here's young Joseph who's like, you can't talk about that. Not with mom, not dad's not around. I heard you. I heard what you said, right? So he went back, and he told his father this bad report. And so he's hated by his brothers, but loved by his father. And Jacob loved Joseph, and as a symbol of his love, he gives him this coat, all right? We call it the coat of many colors. And scholars don't really know what to do with this coat. The Hebrew word is katahet pasim, okay? And it literally means a coat of many colors. And it only shows up one other time in all of the Bible, and it's in reference to a story where Tamar, who's a princess, she's a daughter of David, she's wearing this ornate robe. And when Amnon approaches her, that's what she's wearing, a kahat pasim, okay? And translators translate it as ornate. They translate it as a coat of many colors. We have no idea what it looked like. We have no idea what it, what it, what it, uh, what it could have looked like at that time. Um, obviously, David and Jacob and Joseph and his family are two in different time periods. But one thing that we know is that it was a beautiful robe, a costly robe, something that signified great prestige and royalty, And it had a lot of meaning within it. And when Jacob gave it to his son Joseph, it wasn't a small act at all. Now, I want to posit to you that this coat signifies two things, okay? The first thing that it signifies is the love of his father. And the second thing that it signifies is the uniqueness of Joseph. So the love of the father. The coat signifies that Joseph was incredibly loved by the father. We've talked about this a little bit, that he was loved by Jacob. And and this kind of love, right, it didn't matter what Joseph did or what he didn't do. It, it wasn't the kind of love that simply went away if he was a tattletale or a snitch or even if he made these young mistakes. But it was a love that was deep. And, 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 and this love was the foundation of, of really Joseph's identity. In the Bible, when you hear it, that's what you hear. He was loved by his father. He was loved by his father. He was loved by his father. Even at the end of that long reading, I will mourn until I see him in the grave, he says. He was loved by his father. And the code signified that love. Now, in our modern society today, people are hungry for love. They crave this kind of love, right? I read this interesting article on the New York Times, and it was about social media and this phenomenon of liking, all right? And so uh, it was following this group of Instagrammers who were in high school, and basically, so there are sociologists and research people out there. This is literally what they do for their life, and they get paid. They follow 17-year-old people's Instagrams and ask about why they do what they do. And so this is what they were doing. And they were asking these 17-year-olds, why is it that on some of your Instagram pages, like you have like a lot of pictures, but then on some of your pages you have like one picture? And why is it that some of you are like, you know, like what, what is up with that discrepancy? They didn't understand. And they said, oh, well, there are rules about how you can post pictures on Instagram. So researchers were like, what? What do you mean? And it was like, well, you can't have like a lot of pictures because that means that you're like outdated and like not cool. Like your life is not current. And so what you need to do is, like, eliminate the number of pictures and, like, you know, like, have them, like, in short doses. And so they were like, wait, are you saying that you actually care about the fact that there's only one picture on your profile? And they were like, absolutely. And the whole point of it was to generate likes, 
I want to show them that I'm a fresh person. I want to show them that I'm liked. I want to show them that something's happening in my life. I don't want to put no stale, old picture of myself. I didn't even like the way I looked back then. Ill on Instagram. It happens. It does. Now, this article was very fascinating. And it led me to another article that said that, that all the time we spend on social media, right? We spend hours and hours and hours and hours of social media in our lives all the time. If you were to calculate it, it equals like hundreds of thousands of minutes per year that each of us as individuals like spend on social media or collectively even. If you did that, it'd be even more. And researchers are finding that, that social media, the more that you're on social media, it's actually inversely related to how connected and loved you feel. What do I mean by that? The more time you spend on social media actually does not show that you're more connected or more loved or that you feel more loved. They're finding that the more time you spend on social media, the more lonely you are, the more disconnected you are. And the reason why people keep going back to see whether or not they're getting likes or friendship requests or all of this stuff is because they feel like there's some meaning that comes from that. And it's sad when you calculate the amount of time that we spend on those things, that I spend on those things. We are a people that is craving a deep kind of love, right? This kind of love that, that Jacob had for his son Joseph, this is the kind of love that God has for each of us. When we read the Old Testament, right, we take those pictures and images and, and we think, what does that mean for our lives? This coat of many colors, it represents the love of the Father. Maybe some of you have never heard this before, but you are incredibly loved by God. Unbelievably loved by God. And this love has nothing to do with what you do or what you don't do. It has everything to do with just who you are. Right? We believe from a biblical perspective that God created the heavens and the earth, that he created man and woman, that he created this world, that he created you. And there's a father in heaven, whether you have faith in him or not, whether you're a Christian or not, who loves you dearly. And it doesn't matter what you do. You can't work your way into this kind of love. And you can't work your way outside of this kind of love. When we're talking about discovering purpose, what we have to really start with is the question of identity. And if we are people who lack love, a deep love, if we don't have that foundation, then we have, a, then we have no identity to build on. In this country, there was an interesting phenomenon that I started to notice um, while I was traveling in Europe, okay? That was an interesting sentence. But this is basically what it was. As I went around in Europe, I was there for three weeks, meeting all these different kinds of people. Uh, I started noticing that no one ever asked me what I did. Nobody, Okay? But here in America, if you, if you ever pay attention to the way that adults talk, or even just the way that you guys talk, the first question usually when you meet someone new is, hey, what do you do? What's your major? Then we might get to, where are you from? What are you interested in? But it's rarely about that. And somehow in our society, we start defining ourselves by what we do and not by who we are. Right? If you meet someone at a business meeting and they're like, oh, I'm the CEO of Google, and you're like, oh, okay, <laughs> you're the CEO of Google. Well, I need to talk to you. And you go and talk to someone else. They're like, yeah, I'm just kind of an intern. You know, I got this job through like a part-time like thing, and it might be a permanent thing, but I don't know. Are you going to talk to that person afterwards? Probably not. Not if you're there trying to like network. Somehow we place value on what we do and, and not on who we are. And what's interesting is that that is actually very dangerous when we apply it to our relationship with God. So you can't be a good person or be a good moral person and have God love you more because of that. God loves you because you're his child. 
because you're his son or his daughter. You can't, at the same time, sin your way out of God's love. This is unbelievable, right? The prodigal son, which that's a whole other sermon I'm not going to preach now, is a great example of this. When the prodigal son leaves, the father loves him all the same. His heart is broken because he's, he's, his love is no longer able to be expressed by the son. And so what we see is that this coat signifies the love of the Father. And we have to start, if we're talking about discovering our purpose, we have to start with our identity and an understanding that God loves us deeply and greatly. But the second thing that this coat explains is the uniqueness of Joseph. This coat was like one coat. It was incredibly rare. And it was costly. It was unique. No one had it. Not his brothers, not anyone. As far as we know... It doesn't show up until 2 Samuel, that phrase in the Bible, right? It was one of a kind. And in the same way, when we look at ourselves, if we believe that God's a father who loved us, that he created us, then we have to believe that he created us uniquely. Because you see, when Joseph wore this coat, like, when he felt it, when he saw it, when he wore it, it said, yes, God loves me. My father loves me. But, oh, it also means that I'm unique. I'm special. Psalms 139 says that, right? That God knew you in your mother's womb, that he hemmed you in, he knit you together, that he formed you to be unique. There is no one like you on this planet. I work a lot with musicians, and when, it's interesting when you work with musicians and vocalists, because some vocalists get really, really jealous that, like, they can't play any instruments. Okay, I'm not going to make you raise your hands if you feel that way. But they're like, I'm a singer, but I don't really play guitar or drums or anything like that. And I tell these people... Look, instruments are great, and I love them, okay? I I play them. They're wonderful. But they're man-made instruments. The human voice is the only God-made instrument. Whether or not you're a good singer or a bad singer, whatever sound comes out, whether it's joyful or actually really good, there's no other sound like that because God made it. Yeah, now you guys caught it. There you go. There you go. I was wondering when you were going to get that one. But there's no other sound like your own voice. When you sing, whether it's joyful or whether it's very good, God is pleased because it's your voice, a God-created voice. Now, that's just one part of your identity. It's just one part of who you are. Right? God has made each of you unique with your gifts and passions. And if this is true, then why is it that when we're trying to figure out what we want to do or who we want to be, we look everywhere else than inside of ourselves for that answer? We try to be like other people. We try to imitate. We try to copy, right? Instead of discovering who God has really called and created us to be. The journey usually is external, not internal. Or what do I mean by that? Let me clarify. In Psalm 37, 4, there's this verse, this golden nugget. And the psalmist writes, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. All right? Now, when some people hear this verse, they're like, okay, this is great, right? If I delight in God, then he's going to give me what I want. So if I want good grades, he's going to give them to me because I'm delighting in God. If I want to be rich, then he's going to give it to me because I'm delighting in God. Like if I want like a really, you know, good relationship, he's going to give that to me because I delight in God. There's kind of this like prosperity gospel as if you can kind of like manipulate God somehow by delighting him, then he'll give you what you want. And that's one way of looking at it, but I think it's completely missing the point. I think that this verse should be read that, that if you delight yourself in the Lord or delight yourself in the Lord, He will give you the desires of your heart. What that means is that when you're walking in a relationship with God, when you're connected to him, the desires that 
that start arising within you are desires that he's putting inside of you. And how is this relevant? It's relevant because when college students come to me and they want to know, J.D., what am I supposed to do about this or what am I supposed to do about that? They say, I'm just waiting on God to give me an answer. They're like, they're like, I'm just waiting on God to give me an answer. I'm just waiting for God to answer the question, Lord, what do you want me to do? Well, maybe there's no answer because that's not the right question. Maybe the question is, well, what do you want to do? What is that passion, that fire that God is putting into your heart as you're delighting in him? Instead of figuring out some mysterious answer and waiting for God to reveal that to you, maybe you need to figure out what makes you come alive. As you live this life, as you serve, as you volunteer, as you study in your classes, as you talk to the people in your life, maybe the desires in your heart, the things that you want, aren't at contention with God at all because your heavenly Father is actually giving them to you. Think about the relationship you have with your parents, right? Your parents aren't over here like, like hey, mom, you, you can call your mom or dad. Hey, mom, hey, dad, um, do you want me to eat sandwiches for lunch or soup? What? <laughs> uh, hey, mom, hey, dad, do you want me to like, go to class or not? I'm trying to sense your will right now, mom, dad. I need you to awkward silence. Right? Your parents trust you. They've raised you. They put desires in you, but at the end of the day, they say, I'm going to support you because they love you. Now, why is it that if that's the relationship with our parents, when we think of our relationship with God, who is a heavenly father, we don't think that way. God loves you. He's going to support you. And if you're delighting in him, the desires that are burning in your heart are the things he wants you to pursue. And they're unique to you. The world needs that. We need that. ENC needs that. And so this coat, it signifies love. It signifies uniqueness. And that's the first observation we look. The second observation that I want us to talk about is the vision within a dream. All right? So Joseph has these dreams. The first dream, he's working in a field and these sheaves of grain, one of his rises up, right? And all the others bow down. He tells his brothers, of course, they hate him. The second dream, the sun, moon, and all the 11 stars bow down. Now his mother and father are bowing down to him as well. Now, a scripture tells us that Joseph is 17 years old. What does a dream like that do for someone like him? Well, I think it can do two things. It can maybe inspire him towards greatness, right? It can maybe make him be like, oh, yeah, I'm going to be like the best ruler ever. I'm going to take ruler management classes and go out in the field and learn how to do this and figure it out because I'm destined for greatness. But the other thing it can do is lead him to pride. And it's a very, very dangerous thing. And this is what I want to say about dreams, okay? Everyone needs one. You all need to have a dream. Dream big. Have big vision. When I was a kid, my mom, I love my mom, but she used to talk to me in very interesting ways. And one thing she would say is, J.D., I want you to be a big bowl, not a small bowl. And I was like, what does that mean? (laughs) What? What? A big bowl, not a small bowl? I don't even understand. I'm tiny. Tiny Asian person. I was that. And um, she said, what I mean is if you have a big bowl, how much water can you put into it? I'm like, a lot. If you have a small bowl, how much water can you put into it? Very little. And she said, let your dreams be like that. So wide that God can fill them. Not small, not tiny, but huge. So that you can dare to do amazing things for the kingdom of God. Right? We need dreams. We need visions for ourselves. But the danger of a dream is that it could either lead to greatness or it could lead to pride. And I think the key towards which way it goes is what's in the center of your dream. See, if you're in the center of your dream, then it's going to lead to pride. If you're living for something greater, I think it'll lead to greatness. 
If you're in the center of your dream, it's going to lead to pride because everything you do is going to be about yourself, your money, your family, your hope. And look, that's a life that burns out. It, 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 it creates very fast and it burns out fast. But if you live for something greater, for God's purposes, for the kingdom of God, for the benefit of others, it might take you longer to figure out what that looks like, but it's a dream that's worth living for. I would say it's something that, that's worth dying for. Now, the reason why I say that it's important to make this distinction is because this is a temptation that humanity faced from the very beginning. Adam and Eve in the garden, when they're tempted, Satan says, you're going to be like God. Have dreams. Dream big. But make sure that that purpose is not centered around you, but something larger than you. Discover it. Live for something greater than yourself. And so we see a vision for Joseph within his dream. But the third thing that we lead to, and this is the final point, is the consequence of being a dreamer. See, all of us, we're like, okay, J.D., I'm cool. God loves me. That's awesome. I, I'm good with that one. I'm unique. I'm special. That's right. There ain't no one like me. Mm-hmm. Hashtag that. Hashtag me. Um, okay, yeah, J.D., dreams. I need to have dreams, but be humble. Yeah, yeah, I get it. I get it. I get it. I'm not full of myself. Okay. This is the third piece, though. Let's say you have all that down. What we don't realize is that in this story, Joseph's dream actually leads him to death. All right, I'm going to say that again. Joseph's dream actually leads him to death. His brothers want to kill him because they're jealous of him. You heard it in the narrative. He has this dream. It could be a God-given dream. It could be a dream that he had. Scripture doesn't tell us that. It does come to be, and it happens twice. Jacob takes it seriously, so we think God's got to be at work. But his brothers want to kill him because of this dream. And this is the truth that I see in my life and in your life and in all of our lives. We all want to live. We all want the dream. But none of us wants to actually die to certain things in our lives to reach those dreams. All right, currently, if you don't know, you should know, unless if you're like under a rock or something, the lottery is like out of control right now, okay? We're talking $1.2 billion jackpot drawing tonight. Now, this is what's crazy. There are people, hundreds of thousands of people, maybe even around the world, who are imagining how cool would it be to win that money in a moment. And I'm sure that if we sat here and thought about the dreams of what we would do, it would get a little outrageous, okay? Um, A little outrageous. Maybe some of us want, like, I don't know, a petting zoo of, like, tigers. Um... (laughs) You know, or maybe like, I want like 10 yachts just to have them. Um, or I don't know, I want to, I know this one guy who loves movies, so I was like, what would you do? And he was like, I'd buy an IMAX theater, you know. What's crazy is that you could probably buy all of IMAXs in the country with that kind of money. Now, this is the irony, right? We all want the dream. We all want that life. And it's much easier to win and have that life than it is to actually like work, get an education, Learn how to budget, to manage your finances. Like there's work that has to be done if you want to be successful. Right? Relationships are the same way. Some of you guys are still talking about what you would do. It's funny. (laughs) Relationships are the same way, right? Let's just be real. I talked about this last semester. Netflix and chill. Okay? It's much easier to hook up. It's much easier to like jump corners than it is to actually be in a committed relationship with someone. 
than to take your time and say, hey, we're going to set some boundaries and wait because I want to get to know you and connect with you intimately before. And then when we're married and God blesses that, let's go. It's true. We can talk about that in your Valentine's Day. Another thing is your majors and your work. So many of you, I hear that you're going to do something amazing, right? And then I hear about how you're doing in school, and the moment it gets difficult, you're like, I'm done. The moment it gets hard, you're like, I'm finished, right? This major wasn't for me. Why not? Well, because I just didn't get it, or it's just, it's just not me, you know? I just need to find my passion. Okay, look, finding your passions is important, but you understand that, that Joseph's passion, his dream led him to a place of death. If you want to achieve anything in life, if you and I want to achieve anything collectively as a community, our dreams are going to lead us to a place of death. The truth is that no one wants to die. In Scripture, though, we do find one person who is willing to die for his dream. See, Joseph was a favored son, but there's really one ultimate favored son in all the Bible, and that's Jesus Christ. And when Jesus came into this world, he was loved by the Father. He was unique because he was God. He was man. There was no one else like him. And his dream was that he wanted to see us reconciled with his father. It was the will of his father, and it was his will. And Jesus went and died on a cross. He gave his life so that we could live and have our identity, our purpose in him. And because of him and his obedience, what we find is this. You and I can be people who walk into places of death because in the Christian journey, death always leads to resurrection. We're not a people who's just about the cross and dying. When you die to a part of yourself, whether that's your laziness or your bad habits or something like that, God is going to resurrect new habits. He's going to resurrect new gifts, new desires, new dreams, new hopes. He's going to give you new things that you can pursue. And so you can die to those parts of yourself and allow him to live in and through you. And so for my last statement, I just want to ask you a simple question. Where are you this morning? As we start this semester, where are you? Maybe for some of you, you need to be reminded that God loves you or that you're unique. Maybe this semester needs to be a, a discernment of God's love. If you're not a believer, look, come talk to me. I want to tell you about this incredible love that can change your life. It could be the hope for everything that changes. Maybe you need to discern what your gifts and passions are. Instead of asking, what does God want me to do? Start asking, what are the things that make you come alive? Maybe you need a dream, be a big bowl. Maybe you need a vision. Or maybe you need to die to parts of yourself so that Christ can live in you and through you. Wherever you may be, may we be a community that is committed and focused on discovering our purpose. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time that we've had in your word. Um, God, discovering our purpose is not easy. It's mysterious and elusive. It's something that takes years, God. And I pray that you would just allow these students to take you seriously, take your love seriously, the plan that you have for their life seriously. May this semester be a time of discernment and clarity. I pray that you would birth new people who are going to do incredible things in this world, Lord, for your glory and for your honor and for their joy and fulfillment. We give you praise now and we love you and we worship you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. One last quick thing. At the end of every sermon that I preach this semester, I want to make myself available for conversation. So I'm going to be in Hebrews today from 130 to 2.30. If you want to come talk, if you have any questions, do it. If not, it's fine. Go in peace. You're dismissed.